Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. some of you that the reason why you are the dead end is because that season has passed. The baton has been handed over. And I dare say that if you continue to stand in front of that dead end beating your head against it, you will frustrate yourself. At the end of your life, you will still be standing in front of that dead banging on it. Some dead ends are truly a dead end because God wants to move on to something else. Pastor Akudo Estella Amortaya, fondly known as Pastor AK, Pastor's New Covenant House, Dallas, Texas. A pharmacist by training, her message is relevant, practical, and simple. She's passionate about encouraging the body of Christ into deep, intimate, and authentic relationship with God. She served alongside her husband in planting and establishing churches across three continents. She loves music and is an anointed worship leader. She's very involved in ministering to women and has particular message to pastors' wives. Pastor AK is married to Pastor Femi, they are blessed with two daughters. Please welcome to Pursuit of God 2020, Pastor AK. Good morning from Dallas, Texas, or perhaps I should say good evening, because it's probably evening in London. Um, so I, I just want to let you know that it is such an honor and a privilege to be here with you. I have followed um, this, this conference, Pursuit of God, for years online. In fact, a lot of my prayer works you know, I do them listening to the podcasts on my headphones. So to actually be here with you in person is beyond unbelievable, is beyond unreal. Um, I want to thank you all for having me. I want to especially thank Pastor Agu and Pastor Shola. I do not take this privilege lightly at all. And um, I want to shout, give a shout out to my Jesus House London family. You know, Pastor um, Doc, uh, Pastor Funke, Pastor Badge, Pastor Chizo, Pastor Derele, Ola, Abby. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people that I've known for years. In fact, my younger daughter, Dami, who is 19 and a half, was actually, her naming ceremony was at Jesus House London over 19 years ago. I, too many people to count with the time that I have, but PF and I consider you all as family. In fact, Pastor Agu is actually our pastor. He's the one that we call at 3 a.m. And I mean 3 a.m. London time, you know. Amen. So I really appreciate you. I also want to give a shout out to my family, to my husband, PF. Everybody calls him PF, but his name is actually Pastor Femi. The kids at my church call him Uncle Pastor PF, which is Uncle Pastor Pastor Femi. So you can imagine. Um, and my girls, I've got two lovely daughters, Dara and Dami. And I want to really say I love you to my new Covenant House family in Dallas. That's my church family in Dallas, Texas. Um, as we go on tonight, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will just take complete and utter control and somehow this will bless someone, that somehow this will draw somebody closer to God. This will, you know, reveal to you the things that may be missing in your walk towards intimacy with God. Amen. Amen. 
So this, when I heard the theme of the conference, I was really excited because this is one of my most passionate um, topics. This is one of my biggest passions and my favorite topics. So I tend to go on a little bit when we're talking about stuff like this, but I'm going to try and be really disciplined um, today. Now, the funny thing is there are two main places where God usually speaks to me. Um, a lot of the time when I take prayer walks, I, I love to just walk around neighborhood parks and, you know, just places with grass and birds and, you know, dogs. And if there's a little body of water, like a lake or a pond, that's even better. And there's something about, you know, not having any roofs or walls or any interference. It just kind of, you know, makes me feel like I can really hear and see God clearly. But also in the bathroom. I have this, um, I guess you could call it a routine of, you know, getting dressed in the morning, playing worship music and just letting my thoughts flow and having an informal conversation, so to speak, with God. And so God speaks to me a lot when I'm in the bathroom. And of course, when Pastor Ago called um, to let me know, you know, he wanted me to speak at this conference, I was, yep, you guessed it, in the bathroom. I was doing my hair and I remember thinking, oh my Lord, what am I going to have, what do I have to say at a conference like the pursuit of God? And almost immediately it hit me like a ton of bricks. I just heard clearly that I may know him. So this is what I'm going to talk about today. That's the topic of this sermon, that I may know him. Amen. When I got saved at 14, I was in high school. Um, that was the cry of my heart. That was the scripture that you know we were taught over and over again until it became like a fire in our hearts. It became you know like the battle cry of our Christianity that I may know Him, Amen. Now there are two things that I'd like you to know about me. One of them is that I was one of those annoying kids that would ask teachers for extra assignments um, to get extra credits. All right, um, yep, I was one of them. I own it. I still am. The second thing is that I'm a complete daddy's girl. And my dad's uh, life's work was in research. He was a geneticist and, you know, everything that he did was about research and, and sourcing and, and trying to find answers to stuff. So wanting to be like him, modeling my life after his in a lot of ways, I love to do research. So the first thing I did was to go and look up the word intimate and the word intimacy, because if we don't understand what we're talking about, I mean, it, there's just so much we can learn. Amen. Now, the word intimate means to be closely acquainted, to be at the bosom, to, to be there, to, to be cherished, to be familiar, faithful, constant, devoted, fast and firmly attached to something, to be a favorite, to be special, to be a charm or to be a power. Now, the second meaning means to be private and personal, and, and that means to, you know, to be the innermost, the inmost, the, the inward, the deep, deepest, deep-seated part of a person. Amen? Now, intimacy means a close familiarity or close friendship or togetherness. It means an affinity, to have a rapport with someone, to have a close association with someone, a close relationship, a close attachment or companionship that is based on mutual affection. Look at that. To be faithful, constant, devoted, firmly attached to something. Now, I want to ask us this evening, 
Are these words the kind of words that describe your relationship with God? I ask myself, do these words describe my relationship with God? If I hold up a mirror in front of me, can I say that God and I are there, God and I are familiar, that I am faithful to the Lord, that our relationship is constant, that we're devoted to each other, that I am firmly attached to him, that I have a close relationship, a close affinity, a close association, and a close companionship companionship with the Lord. Amen. So how do we get there? How do we become intimately acquainted with God? Amen. Because it's one thing to say, I'm not here. It's another thing to say, so how do I get there? So come with me as we read Philippians 3 verse 10. I'll read that in um, the New King James Version and then the Amplified Version. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I'll say, I'll say that again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now this is Paul speaking. Now think about that for a second. When someone says that I may know him, you can almost hear the desperation in that prayer. You can almost hear the passion in what he is saying. And so I go back and I go a little bit, um, um, back up a little bit to verse 7. And reading from the Amplified Version, he says, But whatever things were gains to me. And the reason why I back up is because I want to know what makes Paul say that. Verse 7, but whatever former things were gains to me, as I thought then, these things that I once regarded as advancements in merit, I have come to consider as loss, absolutely worthless for the sake of Christ and the purpose which he has given my life. But more than that, I count everything as loss compared to the priceless privilege and the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and of growing more deeply and thoroughly acquainted with him, my God. Growing more deeply and thoroughly, completely acquainted with him. This is a joy unequaled. For his sake, I have lost everything, but I consider it all garbage so that I may gain Christ. If you know, if you're British, if Paul was British, he would have said, I consider it all rubbish that I may gain Christ. Verse 10, so that I may know him experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. Now, if you want to get a picture of what Paul is calling rubbish, you have to back up all the way to verse 4 and verse 6, where he describes his credentials. He describes his, his um, educational qualifications, his spiritual qualifications, his qualifications in the church, his learnedness, and he counts them all as rubbish, that I may know him. Hallelujah. In fact, this is the singular reason why Jesus came. The Bible says that he came to reconcile man to God. Amen. That we may know him. Look with me at the uh, first book of John, chapter 5 and verse 20. In the Amplified Version, it says, And we have seen and know by personal experience that the Son of God has actually come to this world and has given us understanding and insight so that 
Every time the Bible says because, so that, wherefore, you have to stop and pay attention. It says so that the reason why he has come is that we may progressively and personally know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This is why Christ has come, that we may know him who is true, that we may know God. The NLT, New Living Translation says, and now we live in fellowship, fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if Jesus himself came that we may know him, why have we turned our, the reason and the purpose of our salvation into something completely different? Christ came not primarily so that we may be blessed, not primarily so that we may have children. And if you're from you know, the western part of Africa, the fruit of the womb. And I'm not knocking any of those things, but that was not why he came. Those are side effects. Amen? He didn't come that we may have cars, that we may have houses, that our stock market portfolios may grow. He didn't come that we may you know, claim it and name it and receive it. He came that we may know him. Amen. Now, Paul writing to the Ephesians in Ephesians, the first chapter from the third verse. It says, we always pray for you, always pray for you. And we give thanks to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Now go to verse nine. It says, then... The way that you live will always honor God and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Now imagine when Paul says that since we heard of your faith, since we heard of your love for God's people, since we heard of your salvation, we continually pray for you. We always pray for you. What? Are we praying for that you may know him better and better? Look at the Amplified Version. For this reason, I'm just going to read verse 9 and 10. It says, for this reason, since the day we heard about it, we have not stopped. We have not stopped praying for you. Asking specifically that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom, with insight into his purposes and in understanding of spiritual things, so that you will walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, so that your life will be worthy of the Lord, so that the, the way that you live, the way that you do things, your attitudes, your interactions with people will be in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, displaying admirable character, a moral courage, and personal integrity to fully please him in all things bearing fruit in every good work and steadily growing in the knowledge of god with deeper faith a clearer insight and a fervent love for his precepts so this is why we have not stopped praying for you that you may steadily grow in the knowledge of god are we steadily growing in the knowledge of god so then the challenge is that for most of us, we have a tendency to put the horse, the cart before the horse. Now think about it for a second. If I was a horse with, you know, how many horsepower? I mean, you know the strength of a horse. They can trample you on the foot. And I have the cart that I'm supposed to be pushing in front of me. 
The cart becomes a hindrance. It becomes an obstacle. I am butting heads against it. I am pushing it. I am exerting, wasting energy doing that. However, if I have the cart as a horse behind me, all the horse has to do is to walk forward or to trot forward or to run forward and the cart automatically follows because that horse has power. Why do I say this? Because a lot of us, we try to please him. We try to walk in him. We try to live our lives as Christians without first getting to know him. I'll say that again. We try to please him without first getting to know him. Now, I, I don't want to, um, you know, embarrass my husband, but he, he's heard this story. I mean, he lived it with me. When we first got together, we were really, really, really poor. Not broke. See, broke means that there's an interval, a short interval, where you're a little short on cash, but we were really poor. Our roof leaked. Our front door, you know, sliding door was broken, and we didn't have money to fix it, so... Every night we would pray and cover ourselves and our home in the blood of Jesus and go to bed. We had one car between us. I wasn't even driving then. And that car put the dead and the beat in dead beat. I mean, I, if I start to describe the car for you right now, I mean, those are memories that I probably should actually forget. But we were so in love. In fact, we tease each other every now and again about how we actually argued less then when we didn't have much that now the things are not so bad. And most importantly, we had something that was even more priceless. We had a raw and a real faith, and as well as a real sense of purpose and destiny. I mean, we, we, those were the things that we heard about all the time, the things we read about, that was our passion, to fulfill destiny, to live out the purpose of God for our lives. And we did do some extraordinary things for God. Some of our testimonies, 25, almost 25 years later, are, to me anyway, still legendary. We were able to do these things you know, and do some crazy giving. I'm talking about, when I say sacrificial giving, it wasn't sacrificial, it was crazy. Amen? Because we knew God intimately. Now, fast forward, as time went on and things got better, praise God and hallelujah, Without realizing it, as most of us do, we had started to wander away from our first love. I know that some of you can identify with me. Amen? Sense came into the equation and replaced faith. Where there was boldness and just uh, falling carelessly into the arms of God and depending completely of God, of, on God, we had started to depend on ourselves. We had started to depend on some of our skills, some of the things that we thought that we knew. You see, when you do not have to daily pray for your daily bread, there is a tendency, if you are not forced to exercise your faith at every moment just to survive. For some of us, I mean, faith is existential. You cannot move from this place to that place or do anything without, you literally don't know where the next meal or the next um, uh, uh, school fees or, or the next job or the next home or the next rent money is coming from, especially at this time with this pandemic. For some of us, the, the uncertainty is crazy and we're having challenges because we, in the past, we had gotten used to the way things were, we had gotten comfortable and we're no longer desperately seeking God's face. It had become optional. It had become only for emergencies. 
We only ask God what he thought now when we really were confused, where we really hit a dead end, where we really couldn't go any further on our own. Instead of it being for us existential, where we do nothing without God, we think nothing without God, we do not step forward without asking, Lord, what is your will in this matter? This is what it means to have an intimate relationship with someone, just like a husband and a wife, just like partners in a business. You don't wake up one day and you have a business partner and you decide, you know what, I'm just going to you know, buy up this stock or I'm just going to buy this equipment or I'm going to give away this money. You don't write checks without consulting with your business partner because it's an intimate relationship. You don't wake up one day and decide, you know what, I'm going to move from Dallas to London without sitting down and consulting with your intimate partner. And so we came to realize that we had to go back to talking about raw faith, believing in God, no, absolutely, and the power and the authority of the believer. We had to go back to a place of radical faith and radical living for God, from a place where we had moved from the ordinary to the extraordinary and purposeful living. This is the result of intimate relationship. So I want to ask you this evening, do you really know God? The Bible says in Daniel 11:32, the second part, they that what know their God, not they that pray, not they that you know know all of the scriptures, not they that give the most, and those things are fantastic, but they that know their God, they are the ones who shall do exploits. They shall be strong and they shall do exploits. Do we truly know our God? Or has our lives have our lives become you know just about what we will eat, what we will wear, where we will go, you know, how we can make money. You know, back in the day, I remember when I first got saved, you know, I used to daydream about winning souls. I would daydream about going somewhere and just sharing my story and thousands, you know, would just come rushing to the front to give their lives to Christ. I used to daydream about singing a song about healing and, you know, people would start walking out of their wheelchairs and people would start, you know, getting healed and growths and tumors would disappear and fantastic things would be happening. I used to daydream about those things. And then after a while, I started to daydream about winning the lottery. I started to spend time imagining, okay, you know, how would I spend it? I did always, you know, give God it first. I always, you know, paid off the church mortgage and built um, all kinds of things first and um, did charity work, but yeah, I did spend quite a bit of it as well. Amen. So I want to leave you thinking about that for a second. Are we really, really in intimate relationship with God? There are a few prerequisites to being in intimate relationship with the Lord. First of all, we have to know him. And to know him, we have to pursue him. Amen. And to pursue means that our passion for God, our passion for God's presence, presses us to chase after him. It's in the chase. Pursuit is the proof of desire. You can't tell me you want something if you're not going to get after it. If you're not going to go out after it. How much do you really want it if you're not going after it? All of our lives, we spend it going after one thing or the other. From the minute you are in preschool, you are thinking, your parents at least, even if you're not, are thinking the end goal, your education. 
From the minute you get into your first class, you are thinking about graduation. The reason why you swat and you, you pay thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds or whatever currency, wherever you are at, to get an education is because you have a long game. You're thinking about the end game. You're thinking about the end goal. And so for all of us, if we truly desire the Lord, then our, our, the proof of our desire is in our pursuit of him. And that's the most important prerequisite for knowing God, passion and hunger for God. You know, when um, you get into school, I don't know if they do it in England, but in America, they have something called prerequisites. So there are certain um, classes or courses you have to take in order to graduate in whatever degree that you want to graduate in. There are certain things you have to take in first level to be able to do the next one. You have to take uh, certain classes in order to do the next one. Amen. This is the prerequisite for knowing God. You have to develop a hunger for him and you have to feed that hunger. You have to find it. You have to cry out to God for it. You have to, it's not just about praying for blessings. You have to actually go after God. Now look at Philippians 3 from verse 12 to 14. In the Amplified Version it says, Not that I have already obtained it, this goal of being Christ-like, or have already been made perfect, but I actively press on so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Christ Jesus took hold of me and made me his own. I actively, I take action to press on that I may take hold of that perfection for which it is for that perfection that Jesus took a hold of me and made me his own. Verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, 14, I press on toward the goal. And what is the goal? To win the heavenly prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Remember when we were kids and we, you know, our, our folks, my dad especially, would play a game of catch with us. So he would pretend to run. We all do it with little kids. He would pretend to run and we would chase after him. And suddenly he would turn around and pick you up and swing you, you know, in the air above his head. And it was like magic. It was fantastic. The exhilaration, the joy of being caught up with him after he had pretended to run away so that you could chase him. Then the pursuer becomes the captive and the pursued becomes the captor. This is what it is to be in relationship with God. When we chase after him, and just when we think, oh my goodness, can I catch up with him? It's as though he turns around and picks us up and lifts us up. Amen. So how do we find him? How do we find him? Like every other relationship, you have to cultivate it. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29 says, But there you, from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. But from there you will search again for the Lord your God. I believe this is the NLT. And if you search for him with all your heart and your soul, you will find him. It's that simple. You have to search for me. You have to dig. This is a fabulous and a fantastical promise that if you look for him, you will find him. 1 Chronicles 22 verse 19, the first part says, Now set your heart and your soul. That means grab the dial and turn the dial and set it. Just like you set your thermostat. Set your heart and your soul to seek 
inquire of require as your vital necessity the Lord your God set your heart and your soul to seek him you have to be hungry for him okay so you seek him but where do you find him amen look at this you find him one in the word the word of God reveals him the word of God then changes us to become like him. Romans 3.18 talks about how we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, Jesus, we are transformed from one level of glory, becoming like him. Amen? The word brings faith and the word brings light. You find God in the word. You can't know about him just from hanging around church, just from serving each other. You have to dig in the word. You have to discover the kind of person that he is. You find him, number two, in spending time in prayer. And prayer is not just talking to God and giving him a list, you know, honey-do list of, Lord, I need this, and why haven't you done that? And I'm still waiting on this, and where is that, and the other, and this is really disappointing, Lord. It's been a year. How many times am I going to tell you about this? Prayer is talking to God and listening for him. Having your secret place, your quiet moments, your, your just you and the Lord, where you open up your heart and you speak to him, just as I'm speaking to you right now, where you pour out your heart to him and you just tell him exactly as it is. That is where you find God. And number three, you find God in cultivating a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Jesus himself said, I have to go. I have to leave the earth so that the Holy Spirit can come. It was that important. He had to come because he's the one who is going to teach you. He's going to reveal the Father to you. He's going to be your comforter, your direction. He's going to be the one to literally develop you and grow you and help you to understand God. It is the Holy Spirit that causes you to know him. And we need revelation, my brothers and sisters. You need revelation from God. See, I learned a while ago that God doesn't always speak to you about your current situation today from your current situation because he's already been in your tomorrow. He's been there already. So he can give you direction. I always say to people when we pray, we, we pray and we expect that God will you know, wave a magic wand and do certain things, but he usually doesn't. Typically, what God would do is he would give you direction what to do. Amen? And I want to tell you, and this is really important, that anyone can be intimate with God. If you belong to a church where the leaders insist on being your intermediary to God, grab your shoes, grab your bag, grab your Bible, grab your stuff, and run for their life because in fact you and i were made for intimacy with god we were designed for intimacy with god what do we all want a happy life a, a fulfilling life a prosperous life you know um joy but it's not just about money you can ask rich people it's not just about money it is about being fulfilled that restlessness that you feel that dissatisfaction with life that transient nature of happiness, you keep thinking, when I get there, when I get there, I'm going to be happy. When I marry, when I grow up, you know, everybody is looking for the next thing. The kids are thinking, when I grow up, those who are grown up are thinking, when I marry, the single, when I marry, you know, you're thinking, okay, when I get that job, the married are like, okay, when I have a baby, when you have the baby, you're thinking, you know what, when the kids are grown, when the kids are grown, you're thinking, okay, when the kids move out of the house, when the kids get my, they Grandparents are thinking, okay, how about great-grandchildren? We are constantly looking for the next thing. 
Because there is a hole in every heart that is designed that only God himself can fill it. Only God himself can fill it. And so I want to tell you this morning that you were designed for intimacy with God. Life will not be complete without it. The currency, the measurement of intimacy is time and depth. You do not need to be perfect right now. Amen. You do not need a theology degree. You do not need to be ordained as a pastor or a deacon or an archbishop. Literally, knowing God is not something esoteric or just, you know, fab fabulous and intangible that is for the privileged few. Just so and you and the, and him and the other. No, no, no. It's for everybody. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. It's relationship. And it's open to everybody. Anyone can become intimate with God. If he chose ordinary fishermen, why not you? I mean, he, he could have chosen the chief priest, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the learned men, the rich men. No, no, no. He went after the lowly, the fishermen. Look at Moses. Moses was both royalty and peasant. He was born or he, he grew up in the palace of Pharaoh. And then he first 40 years and then the last, second 40 years he spent in the wilderness. Think about that for a second. God was trying to show us something. Look at David. David was both a shepherd and a king in his lifetime. Spent the first few couple of decades of his life as a shepherd and then became king. In fact, historians record that after David was ordained king, it was still years and years before he actually you know, came on, um, got onto the throne or he actually ascended onto the throne. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were just kids, literally teenage boys. Teenage boys, and they knew God. Amen? Now, the funniest one is, do you realize that when you look through uh, Matthew chapter 1, where it gives the genealogy of Christ, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, there are only four women that are mentioned in that genealogy of Christ. Every single other person is the man. And this man begat so-and-so, and he begat so-and-so, and his son begat so-and-so. That is how it was all lined up throughout Matthew chapter 1, except for four women. Now, you would think that just like most of us would do, that God would use, you know, the four most exemplary women in that lineage. But no, no, no. He chose the four sketchiest women. Look at Tama, number one. Tama was the widow who slept with her father-in-law, Judah. She had lost her husband and slept with her father-in-law. So in that line with her kids from her father-in-law, Rahab is the one who the Bible describes as the harlot. I mean, every time her name was mentioned, it said, Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot, Rahab the harlot. Except in Matthew chapter 1, it just says Rahab. Amen. Look at Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She wasn't even an Israelite. And then Bathsheba. I do not need to tell you the story of Bathsheba. The Bible says she begat Solomon by her. The, in fact, in, in Matthew chapter 1, it doesn't mention her by name. It just says the, by her who had been the wife of Uriah. You all know that story. These were the women that were mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. So what is God trying to tell us? It's not about where you are now. It's about who you can be in Christ. It doesn't matter where you're coming from or how sketchy your past was. In Christ, you can be intimate with God. You can be called up with God. 
How can you afford not to be intimate with a God who by his overwhelming love, he has chased us down. He fought till we were found. He left the 99. I love that song, Reckless Love. He says he literally gave himself away for you. He lit up every shadow, climbed every mountain. He has kicked down every wall, turned down every light, removed every obstacle coming for you. How can you afford to not go after and know a God like that? Amen. There are a couple of hindrances that most of us experience in, experience in our journey to walk with God. The first one is fear. My brothers and my sisters, fear is a thief and a killer. Fear will, fear will rob you of what God has planned for you. You know, kids are very confident of their relationship with their parents. Kids who are secure and have not been abused. Regular kids. No matter how many times they get into trouble, they're still coming for you. You would tell a kid, don't run over there. He would do it when he falls. Guess where he's coming? He's coming right for you. Mommy, I fell. And they expect you to pick them up, kiss it better, make it better. Even though it was out of disobedience. They have no fear. They, they, they view life with an expectation and a wonder. They're like, what if? They wake up every morning, the first thing they say is like, what are we doing today? That is why the Bible says that we have to be kids at heart. We have to come to God without fear. Kids are not afraid of anything or anyone. That's why we have to keep watching them and protecting them. They will jump off my kids when they were long, younger. They will literally jump off a counter at you and they expect you to catch them. The second hindrance is sin. Sin, I promise you, will take you further than you want to go and it will cost you more than you are willing to pay. It's not worth it. Sin occupies the space in our lives so that there is no room for God. Sin occupies our thoughts so that there is no room for God. But even with that, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us and to restore us to a place of righteousness. So I want to challenge you today. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 to 16, Joshua challenged the whole nation of Israel and he said, choose. Choose you this day who you will serve. For some of us, we're afraid to, to, to surrender to God because we think he's going to kill the joy and the fun in our lives. Let me tell you something. There's, there's no amount of clubbing or money or acquisitions or success that can give you the joy of an intimate relationship with God. You can ask anyone who has struggled with depression, even in the midst of plenty. So this is the challenge this morning. If God be God, serve him. I challenge you today, if he is God, serve him. Sometimes I go for a prayer walk and literally my only prayer is just, Lord, help me. Lord, I need you. Lord, I want you. Lord, I cannot do this on my own. For an hour and a half, sometimes I'm just walking around and it's the same prayer. We have to get to a part where our prayer, the cry of our heart is to seek God with all of us. All of us. Everything we've got. The kingdom of God, the Bible says, is like a pearl in a field. If you knew that it, uh, uh, there was a pearl buried in the field and it was worth millions and millions of pounds, you would literally sell everything you have to get it. Amen. Everything that you have. Hallelujah. The Bible describes the kingdom of God as a lost jewel. He says, if you lose something precious, you will sweep the whole house. That is the attitude of somebody who wants to be in intimate relationship with God. So I want us to just spend the next couple of minutes in prayer. 
The Bible says, if you seek me with all of your heart, not half of it, not a portion of it, not, you know, this side and not that side. It says, you will find me. If you know that you are not where you need to be this morning, all you need to do is to repent. The Bible says that he will break every chain. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says, let us therefore, because of what Jesus has done, he says, therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of, throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Brothers and sisters, we need the Lord. So come before him boldly this morning. Come before him boldly. Jesus is our high priest. His blood was shed that we may come into relationship with God. So just come. It's that simple. Just come. Your past doesn't matter. Where you've been doesn't matter. Your backsliding states does not matter. What matters is that this evening, this morning, wherever you are right now, you just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I come to you. I come to you, put a fire in my heart for you, put a desire in my heart for you and give me the grace and the strength to chase after you with everything that is in me until I come to that place, oh God, where we are closely acquainted, where we are closely joined together, where I know you intimately, where I know you thoroughly, where all of my life is hid in you and hid in Christ. Father, we just thank you we bless you because this is the cry of our hearts. And I know that I speak by the unction of the Holy Spirit that anyone under the sound of my voice, if you come to him now, he will receive you. If you search for him, you will find him. If you seek him, he will make himself known to you. He will reveal himself to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time spent in your presence. Thank you, O oh God, because we know that as we come, just like a loving father, just like the, the father of the prodigal son, you receive us. And so, Lord, we thank you and we bless you. And, Lord, we prepare our lives to live in such a way that just is all about you, that chases after you, that searches and hungers and pants after you, that at the end of the day, we would have lived lives that fulfill purpose in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, because we know that you hear us and you answer us, for we have prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. I love you. And I know that as you begin this new journey, this refreshed journey, this recharged journey with God, your life will not remain the same in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you.